Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Listeners, this is your host Mike, Dave, and I. Thank you for joining us. Be it your first time or as a regular subscriber, we appreciate having you with us. This week, we will take our final look at how 2020 sized up and what 2021 may have in store for us. We had a suggestion to place our top three and four categories 2021 plan on Facebook and uh, see what you listeners might be up to for 2021 and provide us with your submissions. So please be on the lookout for that and let us know what you have in mind for 2021. Until then, let's take a step further into the new year with episode 29 of Plastic Model Mojo. Welcome back, Dave, to our second episode of the year. I know. First one recording, recorded in 2021. Happy to see 2020 in the rearview mirror, man. Well, it's going to crop dust its way into 2021, but hopefully it won't last too much longer. Amen. Well, what's up with you and your model sphere, Dave? Well, uh, it's actually pretty good. I'm sitting here recording the first podcast that we've recorded in 2021, watching the national championship football game out of the corner of my eye and uh, uh, looking back and thinking that, you know, it, it could be worse. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. How about you? Uh, I got a nice size eBay gift card for Christmas and I've been trying to decide what to, uh, clear out of my save for later stuff in my, uh, my shopping cart. <laughs> <laughs> I see kits in your future. Trying to see what items I'm going to get. Uh, I don't know if there's any kits in there or not, but, uh, I guess we'll run that. What broke our wallet segment in the next episode? So uh, yeah, have to have to have to wait until people have to tune in and see what Mike did. I yeah, I'll, I'm doing something. I'll tell you that. Well, um, Mike, uh, what uh, what modeling fluid are you sipping on tonight? Well, I'm sipping on the Bullet Orange Label, their standard make again. Can you tell it's one of my favorites? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's about a four peat or a five peat by this point. Oh yeah. Uh, but I tell you though, um, tonight I'm enjoying it in the big glasses I got for Christmas and the large single ice cubes and the right glass makes a difference. Uh, it's the same bourbon, but a kind of different dimension, I think, because you can get, you can, you can get a nose into the glass. Yeah. My, my normal, my normal bullet glass is shaped like the bottle. So it's got a, it's 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 wide and narrow. It's an oval shape, so you can't really get your nose in it. So yeah, that's what that's what I'm drinking. I'm enjoying it. I'm gonna take it a little easy tonight. Sipping <laughs> this a while. Sounds good. What about you? Well, Mike, uh, I'm back to beer. Uh, I am drinking a Polish beer for the first time. I I don't think I've ever had a beer from Poland before. Um. And the name of the beer is, and I kid you not, OK Beer from Oxen Brewery in Poland. It's uh, about 5.6 alcohol by volume. Comes in a tall can. A metric tall can. Yeah, metric tall can. Oh, that's good. 
That's that's really good. Um, you know what it reminds me of? Have you ever had Czechvar? It reminds you very, very much of Czechvar. Okay. Well, I'm familiar with that. It's a full body pale ale. Well, I can I can imagine. If it tastes like Czechvar. I can I can kind of get my head around that pretty easy. How'd you get hooked up with that one? Well, uh, I was in t- <laughs> I was in Total Wine picking up uh, a six pack of Gumball Head in the bottles because uh, I can get it in the cans at Kroger, but I can't get the bottles anywhere but Total Wine, and I prefer the uh, the bottles. And so you know how they have the you know beers from all over and stuff, and that you can buy singles of, and I thought to myself, you know what, I've never had a beer from Poland. I wonder if they have any. And so I walked over and I saw it and they've got it. And uh, this is actually brewed in po- and canned in Poland. This isn't one of those ones like Sapporo where it's brewed in Canada and, uh, you know, just has the Sapporo label, but it's actually brewed by another brewery up in Canada. This is actually brewed in Poland and imported from there. And apparently the brewery's been going since 1845. So uh, I think this could get me through the episode for sure. Not sure what Polish beers I've ever, I got some good Polish resin, but not, <laughs> not Polish, not Polish beer. Yeah. To- totally different taste profile. Well, Dave, we got just a ton of listener mail again. Great. Let's get to it. Let's guess we ought to get on into it here. Yeah. Uh, first up is uh, Jamie Favron from Midland, Ontario. We get quite a bit from Canada, and this this week's no exception. Hi from Midland, Ontario. I just want to say I enjoy the, your podcast that I found on Spotify. I recently got back into model modeling after 20 years absence and liking it so far, and just a happy new year to us, and, and uh, cheers. Uh, you know, that's a long time. I wasn't, that's a long time to be out of the hobby, and welcome back. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. But uh, have, you, have you noticed? how many emails we've gotten recently from people getting back into the hobby. I wonder if 2021, 2020 had something to do with that or what, but it seems like we're getting a a fairly large number of emails from people who are just now getting back in. We do. And this, this latest lot is no exception. There's several in here that, uh, well, we'll get to them in a minute. That's the first one, but there's a few more. Good. Uh, Joel Middleton from uh, Nottinghamshire in the UK. Hello, chaps. As a modeling and whiskey enthusiast, I enjoy your show. Well, we're glad you're both of those things. Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to add some thoughts to the topic of 3D printing, replacing plastic modeling. Uh, I'm an engineer and do a fair chunk of CAD work, and I have two 3D printers and use them to make all sorts of added details, replacement bits, and even full figures and kits. However, I do not see them replacing plastic kits or modeling in general. The technical problems have well been covered, but uh, even if those are overcome, the hobby of model building would most likely carry on just as much as it does today. Uh, Good quality die-cast models from uh, Corgi, etc. have been around for years and ages and are of comparable quality and cost to a bare plastic kit. And uh, he thinks it's the act of building that uh, brings most of the enjoyment and doesn't think that's going to go away. So keep up the good work. Uh, Joel from Nottinghamshire in the UK. I agree with him. I think that uh, that it is the act of building, at least for for the large po- uh, portion of us. So I, I hope he's right. 
Well, I hope he's right too. And, uh, you know, this might be my year to get into a little 3d printing. I've already done a little bit and, uh, see how I can work that into, into something. We've already talked about that though. Up next is Preston Culp from, uh, Wichita, Kansas. Now Preston was actually our first listener mail ever. So he's oh, wow. back for a, a return visit. And he says our show resonates with him because he can relate to my career and your modeling interests. So that's interesting. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so uh, uh, that means he's mostly an aircraft guy. I don't know if he does 72nd or 48th, but uh, if he's into your modeling interests, it's most likely aircraft in some scale. Yeah. He's itching to do an armor kit and want to know a good starter kit other than Tamiya's old SDKFZ 251 slash one. And uh, I already answered him via email, but I recommended if you're just getting into armor for the first time to get one of Tamiya's more uh, recent releases, like, well, it's not so recent now, but their BT-7 kits are pretty good. And then mm-hmm. the new KV-1. Or uh, I recommended one more to him, and I can't remember what it was. But you really can't go wrong with a, a to me, a kit of, uh, you know, vintage in the last, I don't know, 12, 12 years or so, wouldn't you yeah. say? Yeah. Well, Spe- I'll tell you. Armor kit. I'll tell you one I would. Re- it's not exactly armor, but one I would recommend. It's an old to me, a kit. Is the old Tamiya Jeep? Oh yeah. It, given its age and all, it is. It is a great kit. Easy, easy to go together. You can, you know, there's lots of stuff aftermarket for it if you want. But you can build it straight out of the box, and it turns on into a really nice kit. Moving on, we've got uh, Duncan Young from Guelph, Ontario. I hope that's the right pronunciation. It is, I believe. We get a lot from Ontario. It's like the modeling hub of Canada. A lot of good modelers up there. Uh, he congratulates us on our successful first year and wishes us Happy New Year. And he says he's been a regular listener since last January after hearing about the show on On the Bench and Scale Model Podcast. So there we go. That's the support yep. from those two guys, those two podcasts we were mentioning uh, in our last episode. Yep. Spreading the word. Uh, n- another re- return kind of guy I dove back into the hobby after two years oh he dove back into the hobby two years ago after being occupied by normal life distractions for the past decade or so uh it took a prompting by his lovely wife so hats off to her amen uh he's mostly world war ii armor mostly con- and uh well he's also liking canadian subjects using afghanistan uh he rejoined ipms hamilton which is uh based at the canadian warplane heritage museum yeah. And they're the sponsor of the Musaru Cup, which is the competition so far between Scale Model Podcast and On the Bench. Uh, there's rumors that might get expanded in the coming years. We'll see. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he joined, well, I, we already said he joined the IPMS Hamilton Club, but he also signed up to be the club secretary. And uh, he's got memberships in both uh, IPMS Canada and AMPS. That's so great. That's fantastic. He's getting his. Uh, Getting his societies in. Yeah, it is. Um, favorite discussion topic of 2020. Uh, he liked episode 24, Fear and Scale Modeling. Uh, Fear and Self-Loathing in Scale Modeling, I believe, was the actual yeah. title. And that's the yeah. one we did with uh, Jim Bates. Jim, Jim Bates. Yeah. Uh, and along that line, I aspire to be a good modeler. However, the barrage of highly finished models on various websites and magazine covers can be intimidating at times and does fuel the fear of failing or wasting a good kit. Like other listeners have noted, since the episode aired, I have resolved to adopt Dave's moniker. So what's your plan for getting better? I may not dig in the Dragon 135th scale 
tire one kit with all the aftermarket bits that I've been hauling around for all these years right away. Uh, even though according to Scalemates, it's been re- reissued and reboxed at least a half a dozen times since I purchased it in 2005. That's probably true. Yeah. But I do have a few intermediate projects in the mind that will uh, are geared toward developing specific skills. What do you think about that? A, that's fantastic. B, I completely agree with him. C, uh, I don't want to overclaim credit for what you're playing for getting better. Um, Jim Bates actually relayed that to me because uh, one of uh, his fellow modelers out there in, in Seattle said it to him, a guy named Tim Nelson, who does really fantastic models. But you know what? I, I really do think that is the attitude to adopt to keep your modeling going because it's real easy to have it peter out if you hit a roadblock or get a little frustrated or, you know, something doesn't turn out quite, quite the way you hoped it would. And in the scheme of things, these kits are, you know, even an expensive kit is not that expensive. If you screw it up, you go out and you get another one and you do it again. Uh, he also goes on to goal setting for 2021. I'm very much driven by completing projects and measuring success by ac- by achieving milestones. It's basically what I get paid to do. So apparently he's got some avocation that's got uh, some similar kind of uh, structure around it. But anyway, so your four questions to map out 2021 outlined in episode 28 worked well for me. So here goes my plan for 2021. So, you know, last time we had... Uh, Top three projects in our preferred scale and genre. And Duncan's are finishing his 135th scale Matilda Mark III. Finishing his 2020 club group build. uh, Opposing forces. Let's see what this is. Tacom's T55A. And probably later in the year, he wants to build uh, AFE Club's Churchill Mark III and Canadian markings for the raid on Dieppe, uh, Operation Jubilee. Uh, That's actually a subject I'm actually interested in as well. So Me too. Good luck knocking those out. Yes. Um, hope you get them done. When you do that, Churchill, send us a picture. Because, again, like Mike, Dieppe is one of those things that is just endlessly fascinating in World War II. So clearly he's a armor guy because his top three projects outside of his preferred scale and genre are, to me, his 48th scale Spitfire Mark I, uh, to me, is 48th scale uh, A1 Sky Raider in the Vietnam era markings and a 1350th scale uh, Soviet Typhoon submarine because he's a huge fan of Hunt for Red October. Yeah. And a twist on that one, uh, he might build a Los Angeles class blowing its ballast tanks and surfacing, which uh, gets into his top three products, techniques, or skills to improve upon or try. Uh, airbrush finishes in general. Hairspray chipping and resin water effects. Now, water effects is something that's kind of got me interested as well. Yeah. Well, I think there's been some big advances in the last few years. Uh, you know, we talk, we we joke sometimes about MIG and AK and uh, all this stuff, but I do think some of the products they've released uh, for creating water have really. Um, improved the ability of the average modeler to to get a, a good result something that really can be made to look like water and finally his top three activities within his model sphere to attempt he wants to start a quarterly club newsletter and if the vaccine and border restrictions resolve he wants to head to ipms nationals and his last one's the hardest one of all 
keeping the stash under control and focusing on projects at hand. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? <laughs> uh, there's no fun in that. So we know what's going to happen there. Yeah. Um, I wish him luck on the quarterly club newsletter. Now we, we did a, we do a monthly newsletter and we were a, a team there for a while back several yeah. years ago. And that was a lot of fun. Yep. I'm still doing it to this day. Uh, nobody else wants to do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and finally, P.S. My modeling fluid of choice is usually off, usually or as most often a can of Dr. Pepper. So, see, not everybody That's drinks right. bourbon and beer, and that's okay. Yep, absolutely, it is. Ah, uh, another one from Canada. Our good friend Ian McCauley up in Ottawa. Happy New Year and congratulations on being the first podcast out of the gate for 2021. Now that's interesting because that was kind of a coincidence that yeah. our drop day was on a on a Friday and it happened to be New Year's Day. Yes, that did work. That worked beautifully. Uh, I want to make a comment about paying more for aftermarket bits than you do for a base kit. I'm sure of or I've uh, I'm sure I've been guilty of this many times. I don't look at it as a bad thing though. Some kits I've built are so good and so complete that I've had no problem building them straight from the box, no aftermarket required. Others have needed some help, or maybe I wanted to build a different version than was offered in the kit. If I can, I scratch build the improvements. I'm, uh, he says he's Scottish, <laughs> which means he's cheap, according <laughs> to him. And scratch building is fun and rewarding. But uh, if it's beyond his capabilities to scratch build something tur- like a turn brass barrel or a PE sheet or some resin add-on bit, then he turns to aftermarket. And if aftermarket bits, if I want aftermarket bits to build the model I see in my mind's eye, I buy it. It's all part of the build for me. Besides, aftermarket stuff is fun, man. Well, I got tons of it. I don't know if I'll ever use any of it, but uh, it is fun. Aftermarket is fun if it it fits the kit. The the most frustrating thing for me in aftermarket is when you buy a aftermarket resin piece or aftermarket photo and it just does not it doesn't fit what the kit that it was designed to to be used in and you end up making a lot more work for yourself so that's my one that's my one hesitation in regard to aftermarket there's good aftermarket and there's bad aftermarket just like there's good kits and bad kits and then there's really bad aftermarket Oh, God, yes. Uh, Jesse, we don't get a last name from Jesse, but Jesse is from uh, the Upper Cumberland area of uh, East Tennessee, Crossville area, which I think is either between Nashville and Cookville or Cookville and Knoxville. I can't remember. But anyway, he's kind of from my geography originally. That's still barely East Tennessee, though. Yeah. Compared to where I'm from, which is almost in Virginia or almost in North Carolina. Anyway, greetings from Upper East Tennessee or Upper Upper Cumberland area. Um, he sent us a lengthy email, so I'm going to cut into some of his key points. Um, he builds a lot of stuff and says it's pretty much any topic is fair game as long as it's metal, but not it's not all about the shine. Uh, scratch building and attempting to find a pony in the pile of manure from a Limburg or old Revell or AMT kit is an excellent way to learn in his his uh, <laughs> modest opinion. He says, trust me, if one attempts a Lindbergh Robert E. Lee steamboat, almost every model building fundamental gets a workout and the modeler takes a sense of accomplishment. Most people would probably toss it in the garbage after opening the box, but $20 or so, it's no huge loss for a huge kit. I built that kit when I was a kid. I built it for my dad. 
<laughs> he says he had to put pieces in the oven to warm them up and reshape them. They were so bad. Uh, and then he goes on, uh, for those looking for an excellent source, suitable for all scales and topics, uh, for lighting wires and metal tubing and rod and all that kind of stuff. Um, check out engineering.com and that's capital N and then engineering, G I N E E R I N G capital N G I N E E R I N G.com. Uh, they focus primarily for the model railroad community, but their stuff works on everything for any scale, any subject. And they're well-established, uh, us outfit with quality products. And, uh, they provide all the info and specs you'll need to, uh, to put it all together. So a lot of sci-fi guys might be interested in that. Yeah. I have to take a look at that. Up next is Bill and Bill doesn't give us his last name, but he's from London, Ontario. So <laughs> another, another Canadian, this, this, couple of weeks here uh he's another long time absent returnee in his case he says it's 40 years since wow. he's been in scale modeling he says the first thing he did when he decided to rejoin the hobby he loved as a, a youngster was to get in contact with his ipms chapter in london ontario and he's joined his local and his national ipms organization he says he finds that the modelers he's met remind him a lot of his uh motorcycle guy friends he knows or vintage car guys they'll answer any dumb question lend encouragement and go way out of their way to help somebody in need truly amazing group of people so it's a good shout out for the uh london ontario club well and you know what that is i've said it a couple of times before modelers as a group are just some of the best guys in the world it just they go out of their way to to um, help each other, watch out for each other. The vast majority of my, of my good friends are my modeling friends. It's a great hobby. And he says, for all the old guys, join your local chapter Zoom meetings. If you're afraid of breaking something on your computer, just remember it's nothing that $30 and a teenager cannot fix. <laughs> True enough. And he goes on to say, we have an open one on Wednesday nights and have people joining us from all across Canada, the United States, and Australia. And it forces him to sit down and work on something for two to three hours, which is good. Yeah. Uh, He says he's done the Kentucky Bourbon uh, Bourbon Trail twice, uh, both times in one day and on his motorcycle. Um, (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> I recommended doing it in a bus driven by someone else. Well, it depends on how much sampling you do, I guess. Cause he says he's not a big bourbon fan. He's mostly a Scots guy, but he's trying to expand his horizons. Uh, he says he's sorry. He's not impressed with the four roses though. Yeah. I don't know. They got a couple I like, but uh, their, their principal uh, labels, not one I pick up no, very often. I agree. Uh, a couple more short ones. We got, uh, John Sachs from the Greater Louisville area. I can't remember where John lives explicitly, but he's a fellow MMCL member in longstanding. And he's been working his way through our podcasts. And uh, he's got a couple of pet peeves he concurs with for you, Dave. Oh, I love the pet peeves, man. Says he misses the uh, times when Hasegawa was kind of paired up with Aeromaster and their decals didn't suck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That was the golden age. I guess so. Um, and he he laments also thick sprue gates on clear parts. Yeah. And this one's kind of fun. Bob Lomasaro, uh, the IPMS, IPMS National Convention Chairman from Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, sends us a uh, 
a bit of information on decanning hairspray to airbrush it for the, I guess the hairspray, hairspray chipping technique. He says, get it in a pump bottle. And I'm like, well, yeah, that seems pretty obvious now that Bob's laid it out there on the table. Yeah, really? I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Still, I say most folks don't decan it because they're using that one brand that everybody uses. And apparently it works pretty well right out of the spray can. So yeah, that, that just amazes me that, you know, uh, uh, that you just take a can of hairspray, point it at this model that you've worked on and painted and all of that, and then just shoot it with hairspray. It just, it just works. I know. It's, I, I, and listen, I've seen the pictures. I, I believe the guys who say it. I just, it's, it just boggles my mind. I guess so, man. Well, that's it for the listener mail. So if anybody wants to write into the show, you can do so at uh, plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com or send us a, a message through our Facebook for through Facebook Messenger, and I tell you one thing, I would appreciate if it is a listener mail uh, intended for the on-air listeners. You might put that at the head end of the note because we get a lot of conversations coming across Facebook Messenger, and a lot a lot of those don't make it to the listener mail because uh, it's kind of a one-on-one kind of thing with a listener in particular about a particular topic. So, if you want it to appear on the show, let us know. Yeah, and, and keep it coming, really seriously. Uh, uh, the biggest benefit from uh, Mike and I doing this podcast is the fact that um, the interactions have just been fantastic. You know, uh, I've said it before, we, or at least I wanted to do this podcast to to help keep my modeling mojo going. And I, I will tell you, I did not anticipate how much the interactions with the listeners really do get the model juices flowing. We get into some really good email exchanges and and uh, Facebook Messenger conversations with guys and it it's it's really motivating. So please keep doing that. And while you're doing that, if you would at the end of your ep- uh, end of listening to this episode, if you would take a moment and rate the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening to it on, give it five stars to help us grow its visibility. Our, our listenership's been growing and growing and growing, uh, particularly these last few months. And we'd like to keep that going. So if you would do that as a favor to us, we'd appreciate it. Also, if you have modeling friends that aren't listening to the podcast, don't know what a podcast is, etc. If you turn them on to it, you know, listen, show them, show them where it is, show them how to access it, listen to, let them listen to one that, that you've downloaded or, um, or streamed. We'd appreciate that because uh, the more the merrier. It's truly an experience where the more people involved really adds to the effect. So please, if you would, tell somebody. And don't just tell them about us. There's a bunch of podcasts out there now. In fact, I think it's just about doubled in, in, in number since we started last January. Uh, our fellow podcasts are on the bench out of Australia, and they're just uh, eclipsed episode 100. Dave, Julian, and Ian have been having a little celebration around that episode 100. If you get out there now, there's an episode 100.1, which features Dave and I as part of their 100 celebration. We had a, a fun exchange with those guys a couple of weeks ago. And uh, that can be that can be heard now at on the bench. And I don't know if it's one hundred point two or one hundred two. Dave seemed to change his nomenclature there, uh, so not sure what's going on. But uh, 
the guys from the Plastic Posse podcast here in the United States have uh, also done a similar thing, and I look forward to listening to theirs. I haven't done that yet. In addition to that podcast, there's a scale model podcast out of Canada with Stuart Clark and company, and just making conversation out of the UK. And just uh, this week, Model Geeks here out of the United States, out of the uh, Maryland, D.C. kind of metro area, I think. Uh, four modeling friends, a lot of ex-military guys. Uh, just kicked off their inaugural episode of Model Geeks podcast. So you're going to want to check that out as well. And that's not all. There's not just podcasts. There's blogs and YouTube friends we have. Uh, model Airplane Maker, Mr. Chris Wallace up in Canada. Another Canadian's got a great blog. A Scale Canadian TV by Jim Bates. Another Canadian, but he's on the West Coast in Washington State. And Sprue Pie with Frets from our often contributor, Stephen Lee, is the, the most recent addition to that lineup. So if you like blogs and inter- interesting conversation around the hobby of scale modeling, check out all those as well. And uh, once you've done all of that, one last thing to do, if you are not a member of your national IPMS organization here in the U.S., that's IPMS USA. In Canada, it's IPMS Canada, uh, wherever else you might live. I'm sure you have a national uh, uh, IPMS organization. Uh, Please consider joining. It really does. They're great organizations. They do a lot for modeling. Uh, They're great guys. Uh, It can connect you with a wider group of uh, modeling friends. Uh, There are benefits to joining each national organization. Many of them have a a magazine or publication. Uh, So if you're not a member, Uh, I'd appreciate it if you would consider joining your national organization in whatever country you live in. It's countdown to Vegas time, Dave. I cannot wait, man. I'm telling you, after missing one this year, uh, I am so pumped for Vegas. It's not funny. Well, that's good because at the time of this recording, we are 219 days away from the IPMS National Convention in world-famous Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, I didn't get up with Bob this week. Uh, There's not much news since the last episode, but we will reiterate that the pre-registration has been pushed out from uh, next month in February until April 1st. They're trying to get, hopefully, clear of some of this COVID stuff and get uh, pre-registration in more people's minds. Um, But let's do something different with this episode, Dave. I saved one listener mail back from the the big pile we got. Um, Mm -hmm. This is from Bill Bill Morris out of Atlanta, Georgia. And Bill says that he and his 15-year-old son are both hooked on scale modeling recently, and they both build armor. And Bill has made reservations for him and his son at the Rio for the IPMS National Convention this summer. And Bill's wife keeps asking, what are you going to do while you're there? And she's getting tired of hearing, look at models. <laughs> so what can we help with uh, helping Bill understand what all there is to do at the convention and what he can look forward to as long as anybody else who uh, might attend? Well, uh, I've, I've attended 22 or 23 IPMS uh, national conventions. Uh, first one was 1985 back in Indy when I was in law school. There, It is so much more than a model contest. Uh, You've got the models, even if you don't enter, the models to look at, you can spend literally days looking at all of the entries. You will see some stuff that is just mind-blowingly inspirational. I always come back from an IPMS Nationals 
really pumped up to 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 do some modeling. In addition, of course, the, the vendor room is the world's largest traveling uh, hobby shop. Uh, you can find nearly anything that has to do with the hobby in one of the vendors. A lot of these vendors, especially a lot of the coll- the cottage vendors, they attend themselves. So, you know, the big manufacturers send representatives and such, but a lot of the the smaller cottage industry manufacturers, decal, resin, etc., the the guys who actually run the company attend. So it's your chance to interact with them face to face, tell them what great products they've got, uh, get their latest stuff, also make suggestions to them. Uh, many of these guys are really open to hearing from the public about something that they want. Also, you know, the books, decals, magazines, kits, it's 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 overload. Uh, but that's not all a contest is. Usually the uh, local chapter has set up uh, tours of mu- local museums uh, with a hobby relation like... Uh, uh, in Vegas, there's, of course, Nellis Air Force Base, and they're going to try and get uh, a tour out to the stuff at Nellis. Uh, there's an auto, at least one auto museum out in Vegas. You know, of course, there's Hoover Dam. Sometimes the the tours are not uh, necessarily hobby-related, but local tourist-related. Uh, and finally, and to me, the most underappreciated part of the nationals is the uh, seminars. All all four days, there will be going on from early morning till the the convention closes seminars from on on just every different subject. You'll have a seminar on airbrushing, a seminar on World War II German tank camouflage schemes, a seminar on the T-34, a seminar on making your own photo etch or making your own decal. These things are really underappreciated. They are a fantastic source of knowledge. Uh, Dana Bell, the aviation historian, he gives one on many of the at many of the conventions, and his his stuff is just fascinating. He comes with photographs that he's discovered and always ends up, I end up learning new things that I had no idea about, US, particularly U.S. Navy uh, aircraft in World War II, although he covers much more than that. Uh, the seminars are fantastic. So if you, de- if you go... Be sure not to overlook the seminars. And finally, you get to hang around with a bunch of other modelers. Some of the best times I have had at national conventions is sitting around a table with a bunch of other modelers or sitting in a bar, I will admit that, with a bunch of other modelers late into the night talking. And it is amazing where the conversations go. It just... You, you learn stuff, you, you make friends. There are friends that I have in modeling that I see once a year, and that's at the Nationals. And while we interact over the internet and stuff like that, there's nothing like that chance to get face-to-face and, and, and share, share our love of modeling. So 
I highly recommend going to a nationals. Well, there you have it, Bill. I concur with everything Dave said. So, uh, straight from the horse's, uh, mouth. Glad you said mouth. Mike, has your bench top been active? Not as much as I like. It slowed down a little, uh, but it's still got stuff happening on it. Let's start with the E16A1, the Paul, the Zeun, the Paul. The last we talked about the E16, I'd gotten the floats on it. And since last episode, I've now got the filling done at the, the lower boots or spats at where they where the struts meet the uh, the floats. And it's uh it's ready for the first real shot of primer. The first uh, kind of uh, full coat. I've been, you know, spot priming it and sanding it along the way, but uh, it's ready for a it's ready for an undercoat. But my Tamiya rattle can has gotten a little low, and I got a little scared I was going to get a spatter or you know some other anomaly from using a near empty can. So I'm waiting on a replacement, which might be part of what I bought with my eBay gift card. But we'll talk <laughs> about that next time. All right. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to figure out. Well. The cockpit area is already painted, right? So I got to yep. plug the holes and prime the thing. Yep. Probably going to use some foam wedges, I guess. Yep. yep. Is that a good That's, idea? Yes, that is generally what I do. There's some people who will stuff uh, tissue, pa- toilet tissue in there or tissue paper. My preferred uh, uh, way to, to uh, mask off the canopy or the uh, interior uh, if the canopy's not already on it, is to take some dense foam makeup wedges or foam packing foam and cut it into, you know, acceptably right-sized pieces and then squeeze it into the hole for the cockpit. Uh, of course, being foam, it expands out a little bit so you get a nice seal around the cockpit so you don't get any primer or paint leaking into it um so that's that's my go-to i guess the one thing i still have to figure out is the the decking um under the canopy like between the forward and rear compartments and the around the perimeter of the of the cockpit what what color that needs to be if that's going to be well in general in the in the uh the front of the cockpit you know where the uh, front windscreen extends over the front of the fuselage. That's usually almost always painted black on Japanese aircraft. Simply, obviously, it's that way in most aircrafts, uh, simply to cut down on glare. Now, if the canopy extends over the back of the aircraft, like in the, uh, to me, a Z- or like in a, a, a Mitsubishi Zero, there's the turtle deck in the back where the canopy extends over the, the rear of the cockpit area and onto the back fuselage. In most cases on the Zero, those were painted in the camouflage color, whatever the underlying camouflage color, although that, that varies too. I don't know if there are a whole lot of pictures of the color pictures of the Paul that would tell you exactly what they did in, in in regard to the Paul. Yeah, there's not many pictures at all, period, really. <laughs> yeah. So you're I think I think you're safe making one of two choices back there. Either the green of the rest of the com- camouflage or uh black anti glare. Well we'll see what I do. Uh, okay. moving on my Zis two anti tank gun. I've begun the oil paint work. I've done the wheels and I've done 
the lower shield of the split trail, but I end up breaking the stinking lower shield off again. There's virtually no mounting points for that thing. It's really that piece glues on, uh, on the inside faces of the hinges and that's all that holds it on. So, yeah. um, it's not going to go back on until I've completely painted the model. I think that's a wise choice. Sounds like if you've knocked it off twice, that sounds like a wise choice. Yeah, it's it's, it's not uh, m- not much. Whole, I haven't broken it though. It's just you know it's come off at the glue joints. Right. Uh, and I'm waiting on a replacement um, from uh, Optiling 501 oil paint of the, the one I've griped about in past episodes that came in the mail as a bunch of dark green sludge and wasn't really oil paint. And I really need that to get moving again. So that that has shipped. And should be arriving here shortly, and I'll, I'll pick up pace on this again. Uh, so currently, as it stands today, I've got two in the paint phase and none in the build phase. Now, the E16 will return to the bench, uh, or at least the catapult will, when I finish putting that all together and t- so I can start painting it. Uh, and the Zis base is going to be on the bench shortly because I've got some building to do for that. So I'm kind of wondering if it's time for a new start, Dave. Uh, you know what? Uh, that's usually my attitude is I, I want to have at least one thing in uh, in assembly while the, uh, you know, while I've got something in the paint booth. Because there are some days that either you don't have enough time to do, you know, to break out the airbrush or, or break out all the uh, weathering paints and paint something, but you still want to do some modeling and construction gives you that option because you've always got the ability to sit down for 15 or 30 minutes and, and cut glue and sand. So I always recommend having something on the construction side of the bench. Well, what's on your construction side of the bench right now? Well, in, in fact, that's funny. You should mention that I am at, uh, a, I'm, I've got two on the construction side and one on the, the paint side. The one on the paint side is my M30, which just got, uh, thanks to the uh, arrival of my bottles of Mr. Level and Mr. Color Leveling Thinner, uh, the M30 got its uh, base green coat, which means I'm not far behind you on the ZIS-2, and if I manage to finish that M30 before you finish your ZIS-2, you'll never hear the end of it. But that's <laughs> the only one in the paint booth. But on the construction bench, I've got two items. I've got the Tamiya Mosquito for the uh, Tamiya or the Mosquito group build that uh, that I'm doing with Jim Bates and some of the other modelers. And then I've got Trumpeter's TU-128, big Russian interceptor, uh, bomber killer. Uh, The this is part of my things I'm trying to do in 2021. One of those is bare metal, uh, a true bare metal finish. And the TU-128, in addition to being cool as heck and something I've always wanted to build and have, there's no camouflage scheme for it. There, Every every one of them was bare metal from beginning to end. So uh, I, I, I won't have any options. If I finish this thing, it has to be done in bare metal. So it's going to force me to do it. Uh, the kit itself isn't bad. It's it's Trump fairly recent trumpeter, so it's it's decent fitting, but not perfect. And the problem with that is that if you're going to put a bare metal finish on something, your construction has to be 
darn near perfect. And your rescribing, which I also want to work on, also has to be darn near perfect. So uh, the TU-128 is on the bench. I've got the main body section together. And I've been filling and sanding and filling and sanding and filling and sanding um, and then priming and then refilling and resanding. And it's going to be an arduous process. This is going to take a whole lot longer than, you know, uh, uh, just a uh, regular Tamiya kit like the Tamiya Zero where it all falls together and then you paint it with camouflage color so you're not as concerned about the the glass level, glass-like level of the finish of the primer, but we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's challenging, but uh, it's. I think I'm going to have fun with it, Mike. Since our the last time we did it, uh, have you looked over the release universe and what are your thoughts on things that you're excited to see and stuff that maybe wasn't so exciting? I'll tell you, it's been kind of slow of late for the last couple of months, at least for, for my interests anyway. Just seems things seem to slow, slow down around Christmas. Anyway, uh, my first one, AZ Models has a new boxing of their uh, Kingfisher in 72nd scale. Now, Scalemates, it says it's got some new parts, so this is a later one. So I, I kind of want to do a yellow wing one and then a uh, a blue one. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've got... I've got one of the original releases already. It's a nice kit. I'm probably going to get this one too. It's not, it's, it's new ish, I guess. But when I saw it, I was like, yeah, it's going to have pretty good decals. It's going to be a good scheme. Yeah. I'm going to get that. So I'll, I'll be picking that one up. The Kingfisher and the yellow wings markings is an exceedingly attractive aircraft. You know, it's funny. A lot of float planes are until you take the floats off and put wheels on them. Yeah, well, yes. And the Kingfisher is not helped by doing that. No. <laughs> I, I don't think I would ever recommend building one on wheels. Have you got a, uh, what's your first one tonight? Well, my first one is actually more than one. Um, th- you know, uh, es- especially in the aircraft world, uh, right at the beginning of the year, some manufacturers announce new kits. And Airfix released their 2021 kit releases, uh, announced kit releases for 2021. And I'm faving the whole line. Uh, the 72nd scale, they're doing a Tempest Mark V, which while we have a serviceable one from Academy, it will be really nice to have a new one from Airfix. Uh, they're doing a... Mosquito uh, B Mark 16, which while, again, the Tamiya Mosquito is an excellent kit, uh, Airfix is doing a later Mark, which has the two-stage Merlin engines. So the nacelles look different. And while there are some conversion kits for the two-stage Merlins for uh, Tamiya kits, this will be a kit already with that that feature in it. Now you might want to mark this point in the, in the episode in the recording, because I'm going to say something that I rarely say. Uh, They announced in 48 scale, a a de Havilland chipmunk. And that is a really attractive aircraft and really in 48 scale fills not only a need, but it will be why I predict it'll be wildly popular 
in uh, in the 48 scale community. There are a lot of those things in private hands. There are a lot of guys in the military who trained on that aircraft. So I suspect it will be a very, very popular 48 scale kit. And then finally in 35th scale, they announced a, this is their own tooling. It's not, you know, X Academy or anything. They're doing a British World War II ambulance truck. And I, I forget the exact name of the vehicle. Yeah, I saw that. It, it's never been kitted before. Uh, so it's actually an addition to what's available. It's not a, it's not a, another version of something that somebody else already has. So, you know, I, I've, I've got to say, I was very, very impressed by their entire lineup announcement. So how about uh, you? You got any more that really excited you? I've mentioned before, but FC Model Trends and now T-Rex Studio have been kicking out a ton of 3D printed stuff. And I, I need to put a small order out to these guys, both of them actually, and check out the, the general quality of some of this stuff. The thing that interests me most from uh, FC is uh, they've got printed mesh grills for all sorts of armor subjects. And, the thing that's interesting about that is as opposed to photo etch, which are, which are just a flat mesh grid, right? Right. These are actually 3d printed in, in their proper woven configuration. And they've got some for like a Soviet T 50 tank, which has kind of got this bulbous kind of standoff kind of mesh uh, above the engine intakes, which doesn't really lend itself well to photo etch parts because of the shape. And just looks really curious. T-Rex has some interesting drive sprockets in their disassembled state. And I don't know how interested I am in, in that, but uh, somebody wanting to do a, a sprocket off on a Panther or Tiger or Panzer four or three or something like that. I can't remember which ones all they make, but uh, those look pretty darn impressive actually. And I'd be curious what folks end up doing with some of those things. Well, that sounds interesting. And yeah, I, I do think that, you know, we talk about 3d printing and, and, what it will do for the hobby. I think that those uh, woven grills are really an example of a major improvement. Yes, I would agree. Well, my next is not a fave, but it's a yawn. Ravel announced an F-15E Strike Eagle in 72nd scale. And now that's fine. There's nothing nothing wrong with the, you know, Ravel wants to put one in their line and I understand it, but I find it difficult to believe that their kit is going to be better than either the very recently released Academy or Great Wall Hobbies F-15s. So, you know, I'm happy for Ravel for them announcing it and putting it out, but for me, it's pretty much of a yawn because I can't see it possibly being a quality improvement over what's out there. Well, for me, and I'll tell you, I don't know if this is a fave or a yawn. We'll have to see. But uh, Border Models has announced a Messerschmitt BF-109 G6 in 135th scale. Yes. Along with a, along with a, a JU-87 as well. Yep. You know, it's going to be real interesting to see where this goes. What do you think? I don't, I don't know if it's a favor or yawn. I don't know, I don't know where this is going to go. It's interesting. I think it's interesting. I think that 
I think they were smart to start with World War II German, uh, 109 and a JU-87, probably the two that that most have diorama possibilities with uh, the armor kits that are out there. In general, other than some 35th scale helicopters, most uh, aircraft kits are 32nd scale. And uh, yes, and I, I really, I could see this being a hit. Uh, kind of like when Tamiya went into 48th scale armor. Um, I thought that I always thought that was a very smart move. This could have this is kind of the reverse of that going into 35th scale aircraft. And I could see some limited popularity for it. I could see a 35th scale uh, Fiesler Storch would, I think, there already is a, one. No, there's a 32nd scale. Is there's not no, a 35th? There, there, there's a there was a tri star kit released in 35th scale. Was there really? Okay, I don't remember that. Trumpeter may have it now, but anyway, b- back to these. I think, uh, um, I would say that 35th scale people already making 35th scale figure sets are more apt to make sets for these aircraft than for somebody to come out of the blue and make a 32nd scale figure set for the current kind of standard within aircraft modeling. I agree. I agree. I think that's, I think that it, I would not be surprised as soon as these kits hit the market to see somebody like Alpine doing 35th scale uh, crewman or ground crew. Or even mini art or uh, uh, master box in plastic, yep. right? Yeah, true enough. Well, how mini art is going to eventually do everything in 35th scale. I, I expect at one point. I expect at one point to sit, walk into the hobby shop and see a release of 35th scale modern model geek. And I'm going to look at the box top and it's a picture of the back of my head, looking at my computer, speaking into this microphone <laughs> at my bench top, you know, <laughs> 35th scale, uh, podcasters. Well, that's all I got for that. I, I'm going to see how that one goes. I don't, Aircraft in that scale are kind of big, so I don't think uh, that's going to interest me too much, but I'm sure there's going to be some amazing things done with it, and uh, I'm curious to see what kind of uh, ripples that puts in the model pond. Yeah, I agree. Well, for our special segment tonight, uh, we're going to revisit what kits we need. We're going to revisit 2020 and then uh, talk about 2021 a little bit. So how'd 2020 go, Dave, for you? Do you remember what your top three were? Yeah, well, you know what? When you suggested this topic, I really hadn't put much thought into it. But then I, I went back and I thought and looked looked back, and I was amazed at how many hole, holes got filled in, in 72nd scale in the 2020 and now 2021 uh, for the purposes of this discussion, I am going to assume that anything that's been announced but is not yet out will eventually come out. Uh, but a lot of holes got filled in 72nd scale in 2020 and then the early 2021 announcements. We now have a Hurricane Mark 2B and 2C new kits. We've got a B10, which... 
you know, the the only previous incarnation of that was the Williams Brothers kit that has to be 50 or 60 years old. We got uh, an out, uh, well, we got a C-130, uh, a modern C-130, and we clearly set up to do a lot of different versions of the C-130. We we have announced a P-50, early P-51BC from Arma. Uh, we got the FM2 from Arma this year, which was out of the blue and was really utterly, uh, it's the most widely manufactured of the Wildcats, but yet was utterly unrepresented in 72nd scale, other than some short run stuff, prior to that announcement. It it was a banner year for 72nd scale aircraft. Uh, you know, I'm... I'm I'm pretty amazed at when I stop and look back at how many things that we really truly were at the top of a lot of guys' lists actually got released or announced in the case of the early 2021 stuff. Almost to the point where it's hard to think of things that we need <laughs> to 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 fill those to fill the remaining holes. There are some. Uh, I can come up with a few off the top of my head, but I, I, I got to say 2020 for being such a crappy year in so many ways was a near banner year in 72nd scale aircraft. What's 35th scale look like? Well, there were a lot of interesting releases that weren't on my kind of top list, but uh, appreciated nonetheless. Um, as far as my original top three from our episode in January last year, I got skunked. So my, my first one was a new state-of-the-art T-34-76 from the Stalingrad Tractor Factory uh, 1942 model. Now, there's still no new kit. Uh, however, after we dropped that T-34 interest group episode, uh, I managed to pick up the TMD resin kit. In addition to that, there have been several interesting builds of the Cyber Hobby and Dragon Kit on the T-34 scale modeling group and some guys doing some 3D printed upper hulls and things. And uh, if somebody really wants to build that, there's a way to do it. Um, so for me, in plastic, that one's kind of cooled a little bit. My, my second one was a Polish 7TP light tank. Uh, there's still no kit or even a hint of one on the market right now. Now... There was a rumor, um, I don't want to propagate this unnecessarily because this rumor has gone nowhere in a year and I don't even know if it's true, but there's some scuttlebutt that maybe IBG was was doing this, was trying to do this model. And they may be, but uh, I have no, no way to substantiate that. That would be great. Uh, that's a very, a very much needed uh, hole in 35th scale armor, I think. Uh, and finally, the Soviet BT-5. Hobby boss, gosh, you've, everybody's heard me gripe incessantly about this for for 12 months right um hobby bosses rung out about everything they can run out of their bt2 chassis so i don't know maybe maybe in 2021 we're going to get a bt5 from hobby boss that would that'd be great i'd be first in line for that one i wouldn't be surprised i mean considering you know they they've worked all around it you would you would think it would be natural to fill that hole in their in their line I would think because uh, I think 
a standard production BT5 would be a bigger seller than like, I know a couple of their BT2 variants combined easily. Yeah. But it's maybe a lot more tooling. I don't know. So they'll have to decide. So what did come out in 35th scale in 2020 that you thought really met some needs? Well, we got the uh, D5T Arm T34 from MiniArt. That was an interesting release. Uh, another one that comes to mind is the 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 uh, Crusader. I think mm-hmm. it's a Mark III uh, yeah. from uh, Border, Border Models. That was that that uh, supplants a uh, a really old Italeri kit. And just uh, there's just been a whole recycling of uh, you know typical. You know, the standard fare German Sturmgeschütz 3, Panzer 3, Panzer 4 that have come out and just really raised the bar on all those uh, all those subjects as well. So yeah. a lot has come out in 2020, uh, just not the three things I was really hoping to see last <laughs> January. <laughs> well, who knows? Uh, you know, the announcements for 2021 have just started. Uh, I think we just got ICM's announcements in the past couple of days and we've had air fix but there's still a lot of manufacturers who have not told us what they're what they're going to do in 2021 well do you have anything uh on on your 2021 wish list that's not already announced yes i do well again like i said i went back i really hadn't thought about this until you suggested this subject and i was amazed at how many holes have been filled and, and, you know, just really, you know, you have to go pretty obscure sometimes to, to find things that we still need. But one very mainstream thing that we absolutely need in 72nd scale is a C-46, a Curtis Commando. That's another one where the, the only kit is the very ancient and very difficult to build um, uh, Williams Brothers kit. Uh, the thing was was used a lot in World War II. It's not as famous as the as the C forty seven. It was very important in the China Burma India theater. Uh, there are just tons of uh, post war airliner schemes for it because it was used as an as a, a airliner forever. Um, but it it's one of those things that is out there and is just a, a pretty gaping hole in uh, in the seventy second scale aircraft market. So I'd like to see somebody take a shot at that. Who knows? How about you? Well, my first bullet for twenty twenty one is to clean up the twenty twenty list. I, I really want to see a BT five and a seven TP from somebody uh, yeah. this year. That'd be great. So that's my rehash. Um, to to get above that though, um, I just mentioned Mini Arts D five T arm T thirty four, but they did a summer nineteen forty four version, which has a pretty sub- substantially different turret than the prior versions. I really wish Mini Art would roll that back to the model uh, nineteen forty three, the first production model, the D five T arm T thirty four eighty five. Mini Arts release kind of surprised me because I, I really thought the one I mentioned here, the Model 43, would have been the more popular version. Uh, but 
they chose to do what they wanted to do, and that's fine. I got a feeling they're going to do it eventually. I just don't know how uh, how high it is on their priority list. So you got you got another one? Yeah, and this one now. I had said I'm assuming everything that has been announced will truly be released, but this one is actually something that uh, was announced a couple of years ago, but we have yet to see. And that is Kinetic announced a C-17 Globemaster, uh, you know, um, the U.S. Air Force's current heavy lift transport aircraft. And they announced it and then it just dropped into limbo. And given the ubiquity of C-17s in the Air Force and the Air National Guard units, I am convinced that it would sell as well as the Zvezda C-130s are going to sell, which is going to be out of this world. I, I do think Zvezda probably just by releasing this modern C-130, it's a license to print money, and it's not a cheap kit. So I think Zvezda is going to end up doing very well with that kit, and I think Kinetic could do the same if they go ahead and actually get the Globemaster done and released. So that's that's another glaring hole in 70-second scale. My final one for my kind of top three uh, is also in 70-second scale. I would like to see a U.S. battleship turret in 72nd scale in plastic. Now I've got an itching that who's doing those TACOM TACOM. Yeah. I, I got a feeling they're going to do an Iowa or a Missouri turret probably, but, but that's not what I want. I want a either, you know where I'm going with this. I'd like to see a Nevada class number three turret, which is a smaller yeah. two gun turret that yeah. had the catapult on it. Yeah. Or, or a Pennsylvania class turret. Like was on the Arizona and the Pennsylvania, Arizona. clearly. Yeah, uh, which also had a catapult turret, but it's a bigger turret. Yes, one one of those, or both, but one of those would be that'd be fabulous. I'd love to see that. I think that I I I suspect you are correct. I suspect that given that they've done a Yamato and a Bismarck, I suspect you will probably see a U.S. turret. And then you'll probably see a British turret from one of like the, the you know, the Prince of Wales or, or the uh, Nelson class turret. But uh, I suspect you may be right that the turret we get's in Iowa. And I'm, I'm like you, I would much rather have a 72nd scale turret from one of the, uh, the pre-39 uh, battleships. Uh, now I know if they do a, an Iowa or a Missouri turret, yes. Inchai is going to be happy as as can be, given his service uh, on the Missouri. But uh, I I just I've got to think we're going to get one. I agree. I just I just it's the, the first one's not going to be not going to be one of these dreadnought turrets, though, is it? I, I suspect you're right. I hope you're wrong, but I suspect you're right. Because uh, you know somebody would after aftermarket a catapult if they do it. Oh yeah, hell, Absolutely. who knows? Maybe they'll kid it that way. Yeah, could be. Well, you got another one. Yes, and this one's okay. This one's a little outside of the box. It's something that is doable, something that 
I think somebody should do and could make good good money doing, but it's it's not maybe it's not quite as as mainstream as some of the other stuff. I would love to see a manufacturer do a seventy second scale USS Ward. The USS Ward was a World War One four stack destroyer that. Yep. served on into uh, 1941 and was the uh, patrol ship outside of uh, Pearl Harbor on December 7th, ended up sinking one of the Japanese mini-subs. It would be a big, big ship, but it's not out of the question big for molding and all of that. Um it could definitely be done. It would be something of very high interest. You could also do a conversion of it to its later configuration where it was a, uh, an assault landing ship. I just That's a piece of history that kind of screams for somebody to do in 72nd scale. Because in, in 1,350th and 1,700th, it's incredibly small and not very impressive where in 72nd scale i think it would make a real impression so that's my outside the box you know long shot keep my fingers crossed i hope uh, model for 20 for 2021 so we'll see well we'll keep abreast of all the announcements and uh hopefully some of these show up but i think at this point we've uh We've rung out the new year as, as much as we're going to ring it out on this podcast because we're going to be into February here soon enough. I think we got one more January episode to drop, but yeah, it's time for us to start putting some models together, Dave. I completely agree, man. I completely agree. We're you know last at this point last year, you and I both had one kit finished. Just about, yeah, we did. <laughs> that's that's kind of sad, but you know. Well, I, I I have confidence in both of us that we're both going to get something finished uh, within the next couple of podcasts. I hope so, Dave. I think this is just is going to be painted here yeah. pretty soon. We'll be on a base, but uh, maybe I can get it done before you get yours painted. I still love your base idea on that Zis too. I cannot wait to see you see you do that. So, Mike, uh, you have any shout outs for this episode? I do have some shout outs and I'm going to lead off again with uh, our uh, financial contributors to Plastic Model Mojo because we've got a, a few more. Uh, we've got uh, John Ozitska. I hope I said that right. I'm not sure. If, I'm, if I didn't, John, I'm sorry. We have Lee Fogel, who's from our own club. So Lee, thanks for that. Terry Wilkinson, Duncan Young, and Barry Fleet. I think all these guys are first time contributors to Plastic Model Mojo. Uh, we've also have a couple of repeats who hit us again. Uh, you know who you are. I'm not going to mention you again, but thank you very much. It's all very appreciated. So all you guys, the first time contributors, and especially the guys who've hit us up more than once, uh, really appreciate it. We kicked off that donation button in October, and the response has been very generous and very humbling, I must say. And anyone who would like to follow in the footsteps of the, all these guys, all these great modelers, uh, you can do so at PlasticModelMojo.com. Go to our website. There's a small heart in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. It's a PayPal link, and we'll let you make a contribution to our show, which helps offset all our hosting costs, our equipment costs, et cetera. And uh, thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. 
Well, Mike, uh, my shout out this uh, this month is to uh, Roy Sutherland at Barracuda Cows. Roy is a uh, actually was a model maker on several of the Star Wars films. Um, he's a really fantastic modeler. He also runs a really nice company called Barracuda Cows, and they do uh, resin and decals. His resin parts are some of the finest things that I think are out there in resin. I mean, his attention to detail and the quality of the parts he releases, really second to none. I, I highly recommend, if you have not been to his website, Google Barracuda Cows and go take a look. Um, he's got lots of great decals, uh, lots of great uh, aftermarket wheels and other things for aircraft. And, you know, he's a great guy, too. You, If you go to the Nationals, Roy is always there vending. And he's one of those guys who you go up to him and you ask him questions and talk to him. He is more than willing to share his time and his knowledge with you. And I, I, I can't, I can't recommend his stuff highly enough. So Roy's my shout out. Well, and seeing how we're still kind of talking about 2021 and, and well, 2020, our, our, our first year, um, I just want to thank everybody who's joined us at Plastic Model Mojo as a listener or a guest or whatever. Uh, it's all been a lot of fun, and we really look forward to this coming year and really hoping that the, the model show activity picks up again here in the fall and uh, we can take this out to the field and uh, see what, see what we can do uh, recording live and getting some more people involved. I am looking forward to that. That is one of the thing, most thing, things I'm most excited about for 2021 is getting to set up at a show and sit down and interview some people and, and do some, some live interaction. All right, Dave, that's going to wrap it up tonight. Um, as they always say, Dave, so many kits, so little time, Mike. See you next time. All right, well, we'll catch you next time, Dave. Have a good one.